0: Pella windows and doors of Wisconsin's wide range of beautiful wood designs can be painted, stained, or unfinished to complement any decor. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Visit PellaWI.com.
1: Expires 30 2022 Certain restrictions apply and showroom for details.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good
2: afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. As, as an example of the mood that I'm in today, we'll see whether this is good or bad over the next couple hours. This is where I want to start off the program. Ask Mike Spalding to stick around. Mike, you are a man of the world. You have an intense and deep knowledge of current events and things <laughs> like that. And I always respect that and appreciate it. So... I have a question for you. Right. And as we pull back the, the curtain on this, whenever I do this to Mike or to, you know, a, any of our other, you know, uh hosts like Alex or stuff, the news people, I, I never I just say I want to ask you a question and then the question is always, can you give me a hint about it? And the answer is no. Okay, so current event. All right. Do you have you ever heard of Fred Franzia, who passed away last week at the age of seventy nine and have you ever heard of him? And and why I might be asking you that question? Okay, um, I I
1: might know his products. I've never heard of the man. Is oh. it, it? Can I guess?
2: Sure. Is he the is he the the wine guy? Yes. Yeah. Very right. good. Yes, Fred. Okay. So so here's now I, I've always said that I I do not have a very sophisticated palate when it comes to wine, and and I have I have a lot of. I have several friends who are, are like wine collectors and they have very very good wine and they're kind enough that you know they, they will share that wine with me and I always feel a little bit bad drinking it because my my palate is just not that sophisticated I mean I, I really I can't tell the difference between. A thirty-dollar bottle of wine and a two hundred-dollar bottle of wine, or, or something like that. So, I sometimes when they bring out these really special bottles of wine, it I, I appreciate the fact that they are willing to share it with me because we are friends. But in some respects, it's kind of like you know I, I can't tell the difference. That being said, Fred Franzia is he? He is the guy that developed the Charles Shaw brand of wines, which became probably most famous by being sold at Trader Joe's, and it was referred to, it was Charles Shaw, but it was referred to informally as the buck Chuck Types of wine. You ever had two, two buck chuck? I have. I, I yes, I have. You have right now. Now inflation has kicked in, so now it, it's no. It, it was marketed for $1.99. Now I don't think you can find it for $1.99. Now it's like three buck chuck, or yeah. sometimes even <laughs> four buck chuck. But yeah, they, they still have that. Yes. Yeah, the front. It, it's the franzia in the box, right? The box wine. Well, except it, it's it, 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 they, they 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 sell in bottles at like Trader Joe's okay. and stuff. But, right. but that it, right, he is the guy that's thought. Wine is wine is just too expensive, and I want to market wine for the average people. And he hooked up with Trader Joe's, and, and again, dollar ninety nine for a bottle of wine. Now, this is particularly significant to me, because as I just said, Mike, while I have, well, I can't tell the, the good wine. I can't tell the difference between yeah. the two hundred dollar bottle of wine and the thirty five dollar bottle of wine. Just as an experiment, one time, I went and bought a couple bottles of. It was three buck Chuck at the time. <laughs> I went to Trader Joe's. Oh, you got to try this stuff. Well, I can tell the difference between that <laughs> and normal wine <laughs> and stuff. If you, you, it's it's pretty bad. Yeah,
1: I use it for uh, like a sangria, like a nice sangria mixer, you know, something right. along those lines. Yeah, right. But I'm with you. I can't tell. If you gave me a forty dollars bottle and a two hundred and fifty dollars bottle, I don't think I could tell the difference. But I do know what bad wine tastes like, so I, I do have that baseline.
2: Right. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So as soon as we, I, I remember the. I'll, I'll try this, you know, because it was getting decent reviews. It's kind of ooh, it kind of reminds me of. See, when you were, if you were my age, growing up, you know that this type of stuff that you used to drink would be the type of wine. It would be like Boone's Farm apple wine or, mm-hmm. or things, things like that. And this, and if people love the the two buck or three buck chuck, I mean, I, I appreciate that there is a market for it. But it did teach me the difference between, huh? I, I guess your palate is sophisticated enough to know when this really isn't very good. I'm the same way with bourbon too. I don't
1: I I know bad bourbon, but if you know if it was uh something super fancy, I'd be like, "Okay, it's good. Yeah, I like it. It's better than the, you know, plastic bottle stuff, but I
2: yeah, I'm not I that I talented. can I can I can tell that bourbon is for some reason I I can tell the yeah. the really the good stuff, which is a bad thing because the really good stuff costs stupid money and every <laughs> once in a while you're like, Man, I, this is, you know, but this, I'll save this for special occasions. I have a, I have a bottle of very expensive bourbon that's sitting on my, my, my liquor cabinet waiting for a very special occasion to break it, break it open.
1: Yeah. Almost all of our bourbon is only used special. It'll go months without being touched, but I do. I have a nice bottle. My dad got me one. Our our house in our basement, we have a, a, like a, a bar. And my dad's like, well, you need a nice bottle to have down there. I was like, okay, great. Yeah. Got a really nice bottle and we've drank maybe, two full like two glasses out of it maybe it's right. it just sits right but it looks nice absolutely you look smart you look sophisticated
2: absolutely well <laughs> next time we're going to a party together you can bring it over yeah there you, <laughs>
1: you go know? use a little <laughs> bit i can use a little bit <laughs> and
2: here. i'll share so in any event you know there's been a number of notable passings of course you know that the queen's passing is getting all sorts of attention but the guy who developed two buck chuck he died last week too so we got want to give him his his um props all right so, uh, over the weekend, as a matter of fact, I, I tweeted out a couple things on this. If you're a regular listener, you know I'm a big baseball fan, a huge Brewers fan, and I um, I have a 20-pack of season tickets, so... Last weekend, the the Yankees were in town, and the Brewers won two out of three games, and that's that's great. They're still in the playoff race, but they they got to start like running off big streaks. But anyhow, so I go to the game on Friday night. It's the first time the Yankees were here in eight years. Go with my my buddy Evan, and you know we're sitting there, we're enjoying the game. Well, the game starts off bad. Brewers fall behind three to nothing in the first inning and then uh then it's the Yankees score another 2 runs and then it's 5 to nothing and you're thinking oh this is going to be this awful game and then they hit a home run 3 run home run at the bottom of the second it's 5 to 3 and actually it it turned out to be an incredibly exciting game Brewers came back they they tied the game up 5 to 5 Went ahead six to five in the eighth inning. Yankees caught up in the ninth inning, made it six to six. And the Brewers win with a two out, two strike, base hit in the bottom of the night. It was a very, very exciting game. So what, what's the, what's the downside of this? Well, if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, I was doing a running play by play of this. The game started at seven ten. It took an hour and twenty minutes to play two innings at tonight at the game an hour and 20 minutes to play two innings. So the game started at 710. It was, it was literally 830, and they were just starting the third inning. My note was they should consider serving breakfast at this rate. Okay, so it, the pace didn't pick up. All right, it took them two hours and five minutes to play four innings. So it is now 915, and they're not halfway done with the game. Long story underscore long story. We stayed till t- t- the end. Like I said, it was a great game. The game took, I want to say, approximately four hours and 20 minutes. It ended about 1130 at night. Um, There was, I think, initially 34,000 people there. My guess is about half had left. And, I mean, I was watching people who brought their kids. They were leaving, you know, after, you know, it's 930. And and the game isn't close to being over. And I'm thinking, this is really bad for the fans. And you've got these little kids because the kids just can't. I I know it's a Friday night, but the kids can't stay that long. And it just went on and on and on, four hours and 20 minutes. So by the time I drop off my friend, I mean, I'm not home till close to 1 o'clock. night i'm thinking this is they i know that they've made changes to all this but they've gotta just figure out a way to pick this up you just four hours and 20 minutes even for a great game you just can't hold the attention of fans so that was the the one thing now the other thing and this is where i want to start the program with because it continues to be a a peeve of mine about all sorts of places so they, they have the vendors in the stands American Family Field, like other venues, continues to be cashless. You cannot pay for stuff if you want to with cash. You have to use a credit card. So I, at one point in time, there, there's the vendors that are working the thing. And there's my buddy and I, and there's four people. Interestingly, one of, somebody I knew just happened to be sitting over there next to us. So the guys next to us, they're trying to buy beer from the beer vendor. So, okay, you know, we, we want four beers, and they give them the credit card. And whether it was like a poor internet connection, the the vendors can't take cash anymore, so they have to like take the credit card. They have to swipe it. They've got these handheld things. The problem is, and I've been hearing this all year long, there it's it's sort of like if the internet system gets overwhelmed. It's slow and it doesn't register. And I'm not making this up. It was at least five minutes at one point in time for these people to buy four beers. And the the vendor who's like sitting, I'm on the aisle, so he's right next to me and he's just grousing about this. He says, this happens all the time. We can't get these transactions processed because there's some glitch in the internet or whatever. So normally a process that would be, Hey, beer guy, you know, give me, give me four beers. And what do they cost now? 10 bucks or whatever. And here's 50 bucks. Keep the change. You pass them down, you pass the money down, the transaction takes, you know, maybe 30 seconds or a minute. This is taking four, five, six minutes. And I've talked to multiple vendors who just hate this because they sell, they say they sell about half as much because of all the time it takes to do this. Well, I was not at the game yesterday, but a colleague of mine who was says, Did you hear about what happened? I said, No, what happened? The entire internet system crashed. So you could not, the, the vendors, their handheld, like, sales things were not working. And I don't know what inning they stopped working, but the vendors just all disappeared because they couldn't transact business because that wasn't working. At most of the collateral stands throughout the stadium, the, the Internet wasn't working, so they couldn't ring stuff up. They couldn't conduct business at all. There were a couple of the main stands that were apparently open, but it was, like, you know, the, the, the lines were like 60 and 70 deep because there were only a couple stands working. This happened another time I know that I was there, and I'm told it's happened other times as well. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Whether it's Summerfest or American Family Field, th- this push to go cashless, I think, is annoying and anti-patron friendly in the extreme. I mean, I still think that you should be able to say, hey, beer guy, give me four beers. Here's 50 bucks. Keep the change. Let the transaction be conducted in just a couple minutes, in a couple seconds, and then let the vendor move on. I, I I understand that from accounting purposes, it's probably easier. I understand, I guess, for theft purposes, you don't have to worry about employees like pocketing money out of the till or something like that. But the fan inconvenience, whether it's at American Family Field or at Summerfest or these other places, by not being able to use cash, I, I think really needs to be rethought. 855-616-1620, we discuss. And again, the businesses get to do whatever they want. If they don't want to take cash, they don't have to. But I do hope that people will, the people that make these decisions will rethink this whole cashless idea and return to where fans patrons have the option of paying cash if they want. I understand we are moving towards a cashless society, and I get the fact that a lot of people are going to choose to use the credit cards anyways, but if I want to, if I want to buy a beer and I want to pull out a $20 bill, shouldn't I be allowed to do that? We discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, the Wi Fi at the ballpark was completely down yesterday. My friend is a vendor. He could not sell all game. He came to our house after the game to watch the Packers. He was absolutely livid. Um yes, yes. Jeff, I'm upset about cashless parking at State Fair and at Harvest Fest. Um Yeah, that's that that's kind of the deal out there. Again, I, I just I will tell you this, however much the brewers... Might think that they are saving in I don't know like uh, a lack of theft or something. How much do, How much did they have to lose yesterday by not being able to sell concessions because the Wi-Fi broke down? And here's the reality: the Wi-Fi it's always going to break down. At least if you didn't have the Wi-Fi, maybe that would have screwed up the cash registers throughout the the the, the stadium. But at least the vendors would have still been able to sell stuff and do their cash business. Sandy and Stevens point. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about this cashless stuff?
3: Well, I found it. I I experienced this at uh, the Badger game this past Saturday, and I was in the Badgerville area. It's like behind the Camp Randall, and it's a tented area where they have music, food, and beer, and I was entertaining customers, so there was eight of us, and I felt like I was spending uh, my two and a half hours of, of standing in line waiting for either beer or food, and I I looked over at the food line. I thought, okay, guys, we need to go over and stand in line because I wanted to make sure we allotted enough time right. to um, get the food and, and get into the game. So either they need to hire more people and or go back to cash because it is a huge inconvenience of standing in line.
2: Well, well right, and then there's the the whole process that you, you have to, the, the multi-step process. Instead of them just saying it's $20, you give them $20 and, and you go on with it, it's okay. You have to then look at the thing and you have to punch the button as to what the tip's gonna be and you have to wait for the card to get approved. It's just right. give people the option let's be let us be customer friendly we want to spend we want to buy the overpriced concession sandy you should make it as easy as possible for us to do it right yeah. right what,
3: whatever happened to th- the theory of Cassius king <laughs> yeah no
2: that, that, right thanks thanks i mean you you would look if, if i was at one of these venues and, and you had a live one you had somebody that that wanted to spend you know 10 or 12 dollars to buy a beer my god you would think you would be making it as easy as possible for him to do it right i mean would, wouldn't that be the idea instead of making it inconvenient and and again this is what happens technology is great when it works but when it doesn't well you got this problem. Mary. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Hi. Hi, So we were at the game yesterday and um, I do have to say that I'm all for the cash and the credit card was a big pain in the arse. Um, My daughters are here from Florida with one of um, the boyfriend and at one point he wanted to buy four beers and the beer guy ran his car once, ran it twice, ran it three times. He's like, oh, like pretty much saying like, your card isn't working because it doesn't have any money. Do you have another card? He gives him another card, doesn't work. I think at this point, the beer guy is kind of like, oh, and my other daughter said, well, I have a card. And everything kept getting denied. And he was frustrated and come to find out there was a, a glitch with their internet but the funny story is my my daughter's boyfriend woke up today and he had seven charges on his card that are still processing from this beer guy, um, which I hopefully won't go through. So we ended up getting four beers on 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 the
2: house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but after the frustration. But again, you, you wonder how often that that happened. And again, it's I, I, I'm all in favor of, of giving people the option if they want to pay with credit cards, but but not allowing people to pay cash just drives me crazy. You know, th- th- thanks for calling. I appreciate it, Jeff. I volunteered at Tosa Fest. We did credit cards or cash at the beer tent. The cash system was a much quicker transaction. Sure it's a much quicker transaction. I mean there's there's no question about it. Now somebody says grocery stores are turning to cards only at self checkouts. Well at least at least there you have the option. You know you don't have to go at least Right now, you, you have options other than going to the self-checkout. So, I mean, I, I, I understand that, that you know, you don't want the machines to fool with cash necessarily. But if you want to pay cash at the grocery store, you can still, you know, go in line and wait till you have the real cashier. I just think you know this is the the problem. Jeff, we had slow registers at Lambo last night at well. Worse was trying to show tickets constantly and the Packers app was not working for numerous people all trying to log on at the same time. Yeah, that's you know that's an issue, Jeff. There was some glitch at Lambo with their cashless last night when people where people were double charged. I checked my card and I was indeed double charged. Not crazy about paying twelve fifty for one hot dog, but being charged that twice um, went to this without all the glitches being worked out. Again, that's that's the thing. And I appreciate it. It's inventory control. I appreciate it makes employee theft a little bit more difficult. I appreciate it makes accounting a little bit easier. And I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't offer this as an option. But here here's the problem. As long as we have problems with, you know, the Wi-Fi and things like that, which we will always have. Can I see a show of hands? You know, how many people have ever had problems with the Wi-Fi coming in and out at their work or at their at home or, or whatever? It's irritating in that case. But when you're with 35,000 or 40,000 or 80,000 people and you're depending on this entire system and it ends up screwing up, it's just frustrating in the extreme. Admittedly, a first world problem. I, I get it. Gee, I, I wasn't able to buy that $12.50 beer because the credit card machine wasn't working. But still, if you're going to try to be fan friendly, why, why not really be fan friendly? Brewers, Packers, Bucks, just asking. Now one of our listeners says he works yesterday's game was an Usher and it said the internet was actually fine, but the credit card processing servers went down for eight stadium. So it was the card company's processing servers, computers that went down. But but Regardless of whether it's the internet or the credit card processors that went down, you couldn't use your credit cards to buy stuff. And number of people are also, this is maybe an intrepid thing for news, some news reporter to look into, the uh, number of people are saying that they were double charged, um, you know, at Lambeau Field for beers and stuff with that. Whatever. Admittedly, it is a first-world problem, but still, if I'm running a business and I've got some live one who wants to spend $12.50 to buy a beer, I want to make it as easy as possible for them to se- spend that twelve fifty to make the beer where my profit margin is probably, what, 1,000%. Just saying. Okay, you want the good news or the bad news? No, 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 because it's Monday, the Packers won. I'll give you the good news. It's not as bad as it was last year. It's not as bad as it was last year. That's the good news. The bad news is it is still incredibly bad. We're number eight. We're number eight. New numbers in says that the city of Milwaukee has the eighth highest motor vehicle theft rate of any U.S. city last year. Now, it's down slightly, but eighth. Now, to give you a perspective, the difference in 2020, 2020, the city was like number 87 as far as like theft rate across the country. It, it went up to um, number eight in the country. Um, uh, it just It is just staggering. And as we pointed out, the number of just vehicle thefts, almost, just forget per capita, they almost, we almost had more cars stolen in the city of Milwaukee in 2021 than they had in the entire city of Chicago. And Chicago has 2 million more residents than we have in Milwaukee. It's actually thought, as analysts look across the country, what they think is this rash of, of thefts, predominantly of, of newer Kia and Hyundai models, you know, the so-called Kia Boy stuff, That that trend of stealing those cars actually started in the city of Milwaukee and then just like all these bad ideas that originate say in Southern California and then they kind of migrate West in this case this idea of, of stealing cars in general but particularly the Kia's and the Hyundai's they think that started in Milwaukee and is now that phenomena has now gone nationwide in addition, the number of vehicle thefts, it's its not just confined to the city of Milwaukee. Vehicle thefts have also written, risen in the suburbs. In Wauwatosa, between 20 and 21, there was a 168% increase in vehicle thefts. Brown Deer saw a 230% increase increase in vehicle thefts from 20 to 21. So the, the numbers, it's not just like the thieves are confining themselves to the city of Milwaukee. It's not like there's a fence like in the movie Escape from New York. You know, People are going out into the suburbs and stealing cars as well. Now, it's true in Wauwatosa, it's true in Brown Deer, and it's true in Milwaukee that the number of cars stolen, the raw number, has decreased slightly, but it's still way, way up from two years ago. We're we're not close to dealing with the car theft problem. And what they say is in Milwaukee, um according to the data from the police department, about fifty percent of the arrests made for vehicle thefts involved those under the age of sixteen. Let me say that. Of all these thousands and thousands of cars that are being stolen, at least of the number of people who are arrested about half or more are under the age of 16, under 16. So clearly you you have this crime wave that is being fueled largely by, by juveniles. And whether it's... Whether it's the, the kid that steals one car or the kid that steals four cars, whether it's the kids that use them for you know joyriding and and reckless driving, or whether there's something else using them to sell drugs out of or whatever, you still have this epidemic problem to the point that now you have other states that are starting to look at the Milwaukee area and go. Oh, thanks. This problem that started in Milwaukee is now spreading all across the country. Now, Again, if you want the good news, the numbers are are down and, and they're, they're down this time. To give you a perspective, this time two years ago, um, looking at the statistics they have, they had um, forty five hundred. Oh, OK. No. This time two years ago, as of this day in September, twenty seven hundred cars were stolen. This year, 6,137. So, I mean, just just look at at that number, you know, comparatively. Now, again, the good news is this time last year there were 7,600 cars stolen. So there's about 1,500 fewer cars. But we are still on pace to just blow away all the car theft numbers. All right, I know it's Monday, but I want you to work a little bit with me. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why, in your opinion, has the have these numbers spiked as much as they have? And, and what, as a practical matter, what do we need to do to get them down to manageable numbers, to get them to the point that I cannot tell you how many people I talk to who seriously, would say, you know, we used to love to go to Milwaukee. We used to love to patronize some of these restaurants and stuff, but we don't do it anymore because we are concerned with crime in general, but we're concerned particularly if, you know, we used to park our car on the street. We're concerned that we're going to get down there and we're going to come back and that car is not going to be there. We don't want to leave it in these different areas, and we don't want to patronize these restaurants. Uh, so we, we end up thinking, okay, where am I going to park? Is there going to be a secured parking lot? You know, how is this going to happen? And a lot of people, I will tell you, just say it's not worth it. So what is going on here? As a practical matter, these numbers are awful, a little bit better than last year. But let's face it, you know, we have not turned the corner in any meaningful sort of way. So why is this happening? And once we understand the why it's happening, maybe we can understand what needs to be done to fix it. What do you think is going on? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. You will not be surprised to know that I have a theory. We'll discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We're number eight. Yeah, with the number of car thefts, we are number eight. Be, we being the city of Milwaukee, number eight nationally in car thefts. Now that's based on data from twenty twenty one. The numbers are a little bit lower this year, but still, it's it's all time record sorts of highs. And I, my question is, how has this happened? How has Milwaukee become actually the the poster child for? Car thefts, and that's what a lot of national experts are saying. That this rash of stealing the Kias and the Hyundai's it started in the city of Milwaukee. 855-616-1620 six one six one six twenty Let's start with John. John uh on the north side. Good afternoon.
0: Hey Jeff, how you doing? Look, uh, I think you guys are making too big a deal of the Kia boys. The names—they're not Kia boys. These are these are people that stealing cars. You know, I I I, I, I think. When you give them a label, give them a name, people associate themselves with that. And I think that, that, that you know, these young people, oh, I'm a kill boy. The girls, uh, oh, yeah, I, I got a kill boyfriend, you know. No, you got to kill a, a thief. You have a thief that's stealing cars. You know, I, I just don't see where, that's, where that name comes in. Did that, that they say, well, we're going to be named kill Boy.
2: Yeah, that's what you know, they call. I that's what they call them. That's that. what they well, that's what they call themselves, John. I mean, you have had that guy that did yeah, the interview yeah, a couple weeks ago. They call themselves that. There's no question. Yeah, they, I'm sure they they enjoy getting that that name, getting the publicity and stuff. But that's what they call themselves.
0: Well, they are going to keep on doing it as, as long as you know media building them up. Oh, yeah, the Kia boys out of Milwaukee. No, no, they, 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 I don't care what this guy said. Uh, you know, uh, they don't have a name. You don't have a right to have a name and be labeled. Mm-hmm. You are a beast. Is what you are. You're a young thief that's making it life hard for everybody else. So you know, you know. I, I wish they would get that boy thing out there. Kid, oh, oh, mm-hmm.
4: kid boy. Well, we a gang now. No, mm-hmm. that, that's that's not, that, 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 that's that's not right. It's like
0: a mafia gang. Oh, well, yeah, they're in the, the, the Maseranis or whoever. No, they're thieves, and and we shouldn't build them up. We shouldn't keep on building these people up.
2: Well, John, I, I'm I'm with you. and I guess here, here would be my suggestion. And, and I, I think you're right. Maybe instead of calling them the Kia boys or you know, the, the Kia boys, maybe what we should call them is the convict class, because, see, that's where that's where I come back to this This idea, if you want to understand at least in my opinion, why you have the out of control amount of particularly juvenile crime, because like I say, the numbers fifty percent of those arrested and and this isn 't the whole universe of all the car thieves it's because out of out of all those cars that were stolen last year, the ten thousand I, I what what maybe one thousand or two thousand they caught most people they, they they never catch, but of the people they caught. My guess would be, let's say it's 50% juveniles, what happened to those juveniles? And my guess is for the vast majority of them, they were at some point or another turned back loose on the street to continue to steal cars again, which is actually what they were saying in those different documentaries they were doing. Yeah, well, we think the chances of getting caught are slim to none. And even if we do get caught, well, the the worst case is, you know, we spend a night or two in juvenile detention and then they send us back out on the street and then we're back to stealing cars again. Here's the bottom line, whatever you want to call them, whether it's Kia boys or, you know. whatever. And I agree, you don't want to glamorize this. I I think that that's a valid point. But at the end of the day, until you start putting these people in jail or juvenile detention facilities or whatever, until you start taking those people who are eligible to be waived into adult court and waiving them into adult court, and the current DA's office doesn't do that. As, As a matter of policy, unless you're driving that stolen car and you blow through the red light at 95 miles an hour and you hit and kill three people, well, then you might get waved into a, adult court. But by then, it's too late. By then, you have people that that are are dead. So at some point in time, we've got to recognize, I think, that you've got a huge problem here. Back with more in just a minute. <laughs> Number of people are asking that do these car theft numbers include car break ins? And the answer is no. So when when you read the the stories about you know people going through with baseball bats or whatever and, and busting into cars and vandalizing them. No, that's this is actual cars that are being stolen. Vince, Vince, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Hi Jeff, how are you doing today? Good. What do you think? I I want to comment uh I had been uh, head of our Community Prosecution Unit in the city of Milwaukee for the last four years before I retired. And I will tell you that when you want to look at a criminal situation, it's people, places, and things. We should never lose sight of that. I know that we can lock up these juveniles and everything else, but I want to concentrate my inquiry on the thing. The Kia and the Hyundai, there's something wrong with a vehicle that a 10-year-old can steal. And the reason why they're internet on the Internet, taught them how to steal them because it's so easy to steal. If I had my way, we'd have a city ordinance in Milwaukee that if you own a Kia or a Hyundai, that's so easy to steal, it must be equipped uh, with a uh, uh, one of those uh, anti-locking devices. Mm-hmm. There's, it was a perfect example. There used to be a rash of theft of gasoline. What stopped it all? You have to pay it to pump arrest uh, a whole mess of drive-by shootings. How do you stop that? You start stopping people that have unregistered vehicles towing their cars and everything else. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is when a young juvenile that's 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old can get in a Kia and a Hyundai and steal it with less than a minute, there's something wrong with that car. They can't steal my Tahoe. But they can steal the Kia and
2: Hyundai. And I think that's it. And I think and I think, well. think yeah, Kia is working with, like, the immobilizers and stuff. But I guess, see, the bigger question is, I don't know about you, Vince. When I was 14 years old, it wouldn't have occurred to me to bust into a car and to steal it. I mean, and yet, apparently, we have a a generation of 14-year-olds who have no problem with doing that. I mean, I I could have found an unlocked car with the cars in the ignition, and I wouldn't have stolen the car. But yet, people do it now.
4: Yeah, but when you were growing up, Jeff, they didn't have a video called Grand Theft Auto. They didn't have social media. They didn't have this proliferation of, I'm a made man if I kill somebody, and all this other Mm -hmm. stuff. You didn't have the, you didn't have the movies like we have where they're shooting the thousands of people in the course of the movie. And all I'm saying is, is that if we want to stop this car theft problem with Kia and Hyundai, put in some device. Yeah, because and, uh, that's going to take those numbers dramatically down. Well, I
2: get thanks to Colbits. I and I guess I, I I wonder whether that's just going to inspire other people then to start stealing Hondas or but see to, to me that's that's not that that's blaming the inanimate object. And I understand what you're saying. It's it's like saying, "Okay, well it's it's your own fault, lady, if if you left your purse over the the back of your chair, it's your fault." because it was easy for somebody to snatch it. If, you know, that's... That's it. It's If you left your, you know, uh, briefcase unattended, you should expect that it is going to be stolen. If you left your garage door open, uh, how can you be surprised that somebody came in and ripped off your lawnmower? I mean, I, that, that's that's the kind of the, the blame the victim mentality. And I understand, Vince, that's not necessarily what you were saying. You're saying, well, if they made it a little tougher to steal them, maybe the numbers would go down. But to me, the bigger point is that you have these people who are willing to go in and steal the stuff in, in the first place. And that don't think anything about, regardless of how easy it is, they don't think anything about stealing three or four or five cars. And if their motivation is, okay, we, we saw this on Grand Theft Auto or whatever, somehow that needs to change. And I guess I believe that the only way that changes is if we start locking up the people who are doing it. And until we start doing that, nothing significantly is going to change because maybe they won't steal the car. They'll just bust into the car and take everything out of the car.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good
2: afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Mike Spaulding, I have some bad news for you. Worse than the two dollar wine guy dying. The two dollar wine guy, yeah. Well, right, because he's died, but the but two buck chuck li- lives on, you know. At, at Trader <laughs> Joe's, or like I say, now it's like three buck chuck or four buck chuck. It's still the same sort of bad wine, but you know, you get some Seven Up, mix it in it, you know, put a, <laughs> put, a, put a bunch of ice on it, and it's okay. No, no, no. This is it. You might have to. You and your lovely wife might have to reschedule your plans for the end of October. You hear why? N- no. Freak Fest in Madison has been canceled again. Freak Fest oh. in Madison has been canceled again. Oh. Yes, for people who I don't know might not normally get their freak on, um Freak Fest <laughs> has been go- has been going on since 2006. And and what they would do in downtown Madison is they would they would fence off a, a part, large part of State Street and stuff, and they'd have a couple bands, and they'd have bands, and people would dress up in costumes, and they would, would come, and they would roam the streets, and they would drink copious amounts of alcohol. What could possibly go wrong with that? Well, as long as you're not behind the wheel, not did, a lot. Did.
1: Why, did they say why?
2: Yeah, well, what happened is, so Freak Fest was to, to give you an idea and they sold they and then they would sell tickets it was a ticketed event mm-hmm. and so in twenty nineteen, which was the last pre pandemic year uh they sold almost fifteen thousand tickets so it was well attended and then because of covid they canceled it in twenty twenty because of covid they canceled it in twenty twenty one um they've now decided and eh, this might not be the the best idea apparently they had um a lot of l- vendors decided there was not that much interest in the vendors down there and I think they're I think they're worried about large groups together in confined areas and all those different types of problems but they've they've decided that uh no no more freak fests so and what they also found is once they started charging tickets a lot of people didn't want to pay to get into the gated area so all they were doing is they were having their own little smaller freak fests that they're at house parties and things like that.
1: So you're going to have to let the freak flag fly at home? I, I, guess. I guess. It
2: won't be downtown Madison. Right. And, they, and now this isn't necessarily a permanent... Dis- also, some of the places, some of the businesses were very against it because, like, a lot of the restaurants closed. You yeah. know what I mean? A lot yes. of the businesses just closed because they just didn't want to deal with the stuff. So they're they're not saying whether this is permanent or not, but my guess is... My guess is freak fre- freak fest as you knew it. <laughs> now, see, I, that's bad because people are gonna really think that you and your wife like dressed up and would go to freak fest and stuff, and no, you didn't.
1: We did not. No, I'm not a Halloween guy. It's, it's very low on my list of holidays. Really? Okay. Do you give out trick when trick or treaters do.
2: come and give out candy?
1: I enjoy that. I don't like the adult part of. I know. I'm the minority there. I, don't, I just don't
2: like the adult the, the form co- of the costume dress. Right? The costume parties. And yeah, stuff. it
1: doesn't do it for me. I was never a big dress up kid and i'm definitely not a dress-up guy but i do like when families do bring their kids and come to the house and we can hand candy i do like doing that part i'm not entirely a curmudgeon but just the adult version of it not for me
2: yeah when we when when i my house in whitefish bay and you know it it was a it was in it was a block and we we used to get lots of kids and you know kids from actually all over the area and, and that was great um where i live now it's just it's there's not a lot of kids and so we get almost no trick or treaters unless it 's friends of ours who are bringing their kids over and stuff like that, so we get almost nothing but i 've always liked Halloween, um although nowadays too with the parties you know with, with the political correctness you know you you know unless you 're going to go as a firefighter or a policeman or a cowboy, and even that probably creates problems. You know, you, it's, everything's politically incorrect nowadays.
1: Yeah, and I just, I just don't, I don't like spending the money on the costumes. I don't like the, the act of dressing up. So whenever I go to a Halloween party, Mrs. Spalding has mentioned, uh, is very disappointed always because my costumes are lame and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I would say I'm sad to see Freak Fest go, but I, I'm not sure I am. <laughs>
2: No, it just it makes sense. It's just another one of those changes. But if that's how if that's how you like to spend like late October in Madison and you were thinking, hey, we're going to get our freak on. or We're going to dress up like whatever. um, Not going to happen again this year. Let us switch gears. I I lead into this with one of my favorite Lyndon Johnson sayings. And I do not, as I always say when I I use this, I, I do not claim that Lyndon Johnson originated this. It's just I think I first heard it attributed to Lincoln John uh, Lyndon Johnson, and it was, the phrase was, don't pee down my back and tell me it's raining. Although he didn't say don't pee down my back, he used a much more graphic reference, but you understand what I'm saying. All right, now in in Milwaukee, we are about, well, in the next few months, I think they are going to roll out this $55 million bus rapid transit line which is going to – it's been the subject of all sorts of discussion. It's going to run between downtown Milwaukee and the Wauwatosa Medical Regional Medical Center. All right? And it's going to go along – people have seen the routes. It's going to go along, um, I think, Wisconsin Avenue for a while, and then it's going to go Blue Mound around, uh, Avenue. And it's, it's essentially – we are taking a lane of traffic, and we're going to devote it to these uh, – uh, it's not a high – they call it like – rapid transit. Well, it's not a bus that drives any faster, but what it'll be is this designated bus lane will allow the buses to travel the route faster than if the bus was just on an ordinary city street. So that's kind of the idea. And I believe the bus driver will be able to like alter the lights and stuff so you can go through. Now at the cost of $54.8 million, the bus ride from Wisconsin Avenue at Van Buren Street to the Watertown Plank Park and Ride. Okay, that along that, that route, the travel time from the lakefront to the, the medical center will go from 37 minutes to 29. Okay, we're going to spend $54 million to shave eight minutes off a bus ride. But of course, it doesn't change the fact that you still have to to get somewhere along the, those bus lines. So, if, for example, you want to, I don't know, you, you've got a uh, an appointment out at the, the the medical complex, you still have to drive your car to some place along that bus r- route where you can hop the bus. So, you're still going to be in your car. You're going to have to figure out parking and all those things. But it it, it shaves off eight minutes now. The estimate when this originally came out, they said, well, th- this is the deal. If for eight minutes, here's what's going to happen on an on an average weekday, we're going to have the ridership because right now there's a bus line. They call it the gold line that runs that out. The the ridership right now is about seventy two hundred. And that, this is pre pandemic pre pandemic numbers. I, I don't know what it is today. Pandemic threw everything off because people, you know, weren't going to work. But let, let's compare apples to apples. Seventy-two hundred—that's what the number was. The claim was, if if we build this, if we spend all this money to save eight minutes, you're going to see it go from seventy-two hundred to ninety-five hundred weekday on an average weekday. I mean. Come on. I mean, that's 7,200 to 9,500. You're going to add an extra 2,300 people because, at best, it's going to knock off eight minutes. Well, as Lyndon Johnson would say, don't pee down my back and tell me it's raining. Now, if you want to do this because, hey, we're all into mass transit and just like we, we had the light rail system that is the hop that has been pretty much of a flop, here's what we're going to do. We, we want to, you know, give people excuses not to have to drive their cars. Oh, by the way, if you were going to drive your car, for example i have the numbers here the estimate is if you were going to drive your car from say the, the start of the start of where the, this service bus service would run um out to the watertown plank park and ride lot at rush hour that would be about 15 minutes so you know if, if you need to get somewhere you drive it's going to be 15 minutes If you take the bus now, they estimate that it's going to be 37 minutes. This would make it 29 minutes, but still twice as long to take the bus, and you still have to get to the bus as it is to drive your car. So I I bring this up only because these number estimates are just dumb. I'm sorry, they they just are. And nobody asks these questions, where do these numbers come from? I am willing to bet you what would be the phrase dollars to donuts that after this rapid transit line starts – you can look at the numbers just like we look at the hop numbers, and, and you can say, let, let's give it a year or so. There's no way it's getting near anywhere near 9,500 riders a day. It, it's just. Flat out not going to happen. But because the people that, that, because people want this, that they sell this inflated sort of number. Now, you might be able to say, hey, you know, we think mass transit's important. So even though it's not going to increase ridership, it's worth the $54 million and the disruption to the city streets and stuff to do this. But to to seriously suggest that it's going to jack ridership up that much. It's just, it's not going to happen. And nobody, nobody asks those hard questions. Okay, so this is $54 million. want to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to tell you about plans that are out there. Forget spending $54 million. There are plans out there that will make that $54 million expenditure, well, make it look like chump change. I'll tell you all about that in just a moment. Alright, so a number of your texting correctly pointing out, hey, the people that did the, the number estimate for the, the east-west bus rapid transit thing at the cost of $54 million, are they the same people that gave you the, the hop estimates? And yeah, I think there's probably a lot to that. So let's understand, it, it it's never ever ever that those numbers aren't going to be reached. Okay, well that was $54 million. I don't know if you've seen it, but the same people that gave you the bus rapid transit line that's going to run east-west, they want to take $150 million that I don't know that we have. Actually, it's $148 million, and they want to run a north-south bus rapid transit line. This one would start at Bayshore Town Center in Glendale. Picture this go down Silver Spring to 27th Street and then go south on 27th Street, essentially all the way to Oak Creek, (laughs) essentially all the way down to Oak Creek, continuing to Drexel Avenue, and then make a loop at the nearby Ikea. So they want to run a, a bus rapid transit line once again from, but this time you're talking about a significantly larger um Trip. The estimate is it'd be 18 miles. You would, of course, be displacing spots on on city streets and things like that. The cost would be $148 million. And, of course, the hope is that the federal taxpayers, which is us, would pick up the tab for a good share of that. The estimate is if we did this, well, what we would do is we would increase bus traffic. Ridership would increase, what are the numbers here, by 50 to 60 percent. 50 to 60 percent. Increase in ridership. Uh, Essentially, the, the, not, not just the, the predictions of what they say would happen on the east-west one, but they say 50 to 60 percent if you ran these bus lines down there. Now, of course, we, we do run bus lines there now. You just have to, you might have to make a transfer or something. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage talk and text line. Is there any way in God's green earth? that if you spent 154 or $149 million, and that's the estimate now, they always go up, to run an 18-mile bus rapid transit line, you would really, which would knock off, I mean, a couple minutes, no question about it, would knock off a couple minutes for people who want to go from Bayshore down to Oak Creek. Is there any way that this would seriously increase, in your opinion, the ridership on the bus lines by 50 to 60%? 855-616-1620. As Lyndon Johnson would say, at least my take on this is, don't pee down my back and tell me it's raining. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think it's a ridiculous expense. $150 million. Also, how many people are going to come from Bayshore and are going to be heading to Oak Creek on a regular basis? I, I think... You know, that's a, a very fair point. And, and again, you got to keep in mind that there, there, there's bus service now. I mean, they, they run buses along 27th Street, for example. Now, you might have to change a bus or something. But I mean, seriously, how many people on a regular basis are going to ride a bus that you pick up at Bayshore Shopping Center in Glendale and, and ride it down to the Okea store in Oak Creek. I I mean, it's just, and then to suggest that, again, that's the frustrating thing. If you want to argue, look, let's understand what's really going on here. You have people who don't like cars. And what they want to do is they want to try to do everything they can to discourage people from driving in cars. One of the ways you do that is by you making it difficult to get around. You take out like driving lanes and then you replace them with these bus rapid transit lines. And you hope that you frustrate enough people that, okay, well, maybe I'm going to take the bus. Now, I don't think that's how the I don't think that's how this this works out in any sort of meaningful fashion. But again, the, the bigger point is, you know, where, where do you think these numbers are going to come from? Now, they argue that, well, okay, this bus line is going to go through some areas that, you know, there's a lot of people that live by there that don't have cars. O- okay, well, then it seems to me if that's the case, they're still riding the bus. I mean, they're riding the bus now. Now, it might make it more convenient for them because you shave off a couple minutes, and that's all it really is in savings, a couple minutes one way or the other. But the point of the matter is, if that's the argument, j- just make the argument. Don't argue that it's going to increase the number of riders you have because all you're going to do is replace the riders that you have now, and they're just going to be on the, on the newer buses. I mean, seriously, think about this. If you live in Glendale and you want to go down to the, the Ikea in Oak Creek, I mean, you're not going to ride the bus to do that. You're you're just flat out not going to do it. You're going to get in your car and you're going to drive down there. And that, that's just the reality. And if you're in a situation where you don't have a car now, well, then you're going to take the bus or you're going to get a ride from a friend or something. This isn't going to be, at least in my opinion, new riders at the very, very least. I think before there's any sort of commitment to spend this kind of money based on these projections that you're going to increase ridership by 50 to 60% maybe maybe give it a couple years and look at this north south, this east west project that that's already you know going to be going into place and let's see where those projections came in. They said it was going to take you from 7,200 riders to 9,500 riders a day. Now, we, we, look, we understand. This is the same math that you got for the hop ridership. And one of the interesting things about the hop ridership is that was The the numbers, while they originally met expectations, the predictions were that you were going to be charging a dollar a ride. Remember that? That was it. It was initially going to be charging a dollar a ride. Well, the powers that be in the city knew that if they charged a dollar a ride, they weren't going to get anybody or hardly anybody to ride the hop. So that's why it has been no charge. Those numbers that they had where they projected the ridership, it was based on people paying. Well, it's been free and they can't keep up with the, they can't meet the ridership projections. If you actually started charging, it would be nothing. My only point is when you get these projections for ridership and stuff, they're just, they're, the, the people that want this project to go through so they will say anything they need to say in order to convince people that there's a reason for doing this and before we drop hundred and forty eight million dollars in tax money whether it's local tax money or state tax money or federal tax money th- there should be a really good reason to do it and I'm far from convinced that there's any reason to run a rapid transit bus line and I say that in quotation marks because again it, it only saves you a few minutes for from Bayshore down to Oak Creek, give me a break. Did you just say in Techita? Yeah. Okay. You, you know. You know what Tachida t- is famous for? The correctional facility. Yeah. Okay. So we're, yeah. we're we're giving this is the temperature for people who are in the prison. <laughs> this <laughs> what what is it in tuchita? Uh Seventy five degrees. Seventy five degrees. It is a pleasant day for everybody
1: who's in the women's correctional facility. So we get to pick, and if people have noticed and wonder why we do the weather, we pick two, three random cities at the bottom of the hours. Toronto's to okay. do weather for. So okay. I just like to pick out far out there ones and just see what everyone's reaction is. Well,
2: that was my reaction to Cheetah. The only thing I, and, and I'm sure to is a wonderful, to a wonderful community. I just think of it, it's, it's the prison. I'm thinking, why are we giving the temperature at their prison? So if you're going to visit, you know
1: how to dress. Absolutely. <laughs> you have your, your hour of, 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 of yard time, Okay, you'll dress
2: appropriately. Yeah, if you know, if you're good, so if you're going to visit somebody, you know how to, how to dress for the occasion. It's 75 in Cheetah. Okay, that's Mike Spalding. When we come back, all right. Are you going to get another? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Well, see, learn something. Okay, so w- whenever I hear the, the reference to, to Tachida, I mean, I just think it, it's it's a woman's prison that's there, and I guess I never really thought of it as being an independent location. But it, it's 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 a it, the cheetah is in fact it's a town in Fond du Lac County. You know, population. Three thousand six hundred and sixty six, you know, and that's now I I assume that that doesn't include the the people who are the guests of the state at the institution at all. But I've I've just always heard it referred to as like Tachita. But but for people who are curious and you're going up to to Tachita, Tachita, um, 75 degrees out there. Thanks, Mike Spalding, for that information. All right. number of people are just kind of weighing in on the, the whole idea of the bus rapid transit and, you know, who's, who, who who's going to really ride from Glendale to Ikea and buy something there. But I mean, I think the idea is, in fairness, it's that you might, you make stops along the way. But the point is, we, we have this, we have this bus system now. And I understand there's these conspiracy theorists out there and, I might be sort of one of them. One of the big ultimate long-term goals is to force people around here out of cars and get them into, I mean, taking mass transit. And I think one of the things... Not today, not tomorrow, five years from now, ten years from now. Do not be surprised if the next proposal is let's get rid of these bus lines and let's put in, let's spend another several hundred million dollars to put in light rail systems that run along the the areas that we've now cleared out for these bus lines. And I, I, I do think that there's some people who would never, ever, ever admit it even under oath. But that's kind of what the plan is for the, the bus rapid transit lines. At some point in time, we'll say, okay, well, the reason people aren't riding these bus rapid transit lines is because people don't want to ride the buses, but everybody's going to want to ride those shallow, that, that shiny, you know, electric, the, the light rail vehicles, just like everybody wants to ride the hop. Remember? All right. Let us switch gears. Last night on 60 Minutes, President Biden gave a very, very interesting interview, and in the interview, I mean, I, I remember I was watching, I was watching part of it before the the football game started, and and in the interview, he, he reaffirmed his notion that if China invades Taiwan, the U.S. would be providing troops, which is something that. He, he said before, and everybody thought, "Oh, this is kind of just Joe going off script." But but he said it again, which I I don't know if he's serious about this. But the idea that we're going to get in a shooting war with China in Taiwan, I think scares the heck, and it should scare the heck out of a lot of people. The other thing that he said is the pandemic is over. I, I he you know, and and I think that surprised a lot of people when he announced that the pandemic is is in fact over. And now, of course. This is sort of odd because a lot of people in his administration are still encouraging people to wear masks and things like that. There's still like vaccine mandates that are out there. Business is saying you've got to get vaccinated. But now you've got the President of the United States saying that the, the pandemic is in fact over. The most interesting aspect of this to me, and I, I've sent this out if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner620. All right, the the incredibly bad policy idea that Joe Biden rolled out a couple of weeks ago to forgive up to a trillion dollars in student loan debt. And, and of course, this, this is this is it's a killer when it comes to inflation and it's money that we do not have. It, it's Biden continuing to let's print let's print money and all that. But remember, what was his justification for legal justification for forgiving up to ten thousand dollars in student loans for people who make up to one hundred and twenty-five grand, and for forgiving up to twenty thousand dollars in student loans for people who make up to a quarter million. Which is, by the way, you want to talk about a poke in the eye to hardworking Americans um, or retirees that you? are expected to pay for writing off part of the college education cost of somebody, a husband and wife, who are making a quarter million dollars a year? I mean, you want to talk about, just again, a slap in the face, but but that's, you know, what this is. So what was the justification for it? Well, the only legal justifications the White House could cite was this notion that, all right, we have authority under this Pandemic Relief Act. It was emergency powers were given to the Department of Education back in 2020 to help deal with the pandemic. Now, of course, this made sense in in March of 2020 to the ability to forgive certain student loans or to delay the student loan payments because people were out of their jobs. You know, we were in an economic crisis. But now you've got the president saying the pandemic was over. Well, I'm going to be interested in seeing how the White House lawyers go into court when there is the inevitable challenge and say, well, yes, we know the president said the pandemic is over, but we are still... We're still saying we're in a national state of emergency, which allows the Department of Education to forgive a trillion dollars in student loan debt. I I think that's going to be an interesting argument to to try to make. But anyhow, the president now says the pandemic is over. But, you know, we we still can't let our guard down. And I will say this, I, I know more people in the last nine months, who have come down with COVID than I knew in, in the first, say, two years of, of the pandemic. I, I, I just do. It seems like every time I turn around, I'm we're getting a phone call from somebody saying, hey, I know we were supposed to go out to dinner on Friday night. We can't do this because, you know, we, we've got we've got COVID. I mean, I just know people right and left who are coming down with COVID. The good news is that in every one of those cases, the people I know who came down with COVID have, have, haven't have been really sick. And by that, I mean, they, they didn't feel well. You know, maybe they would describe it as, as in some cases, a mild cold. In other cases, well, you know, I'm really achy or I feel like it's the flu. I mean, I don't know anybody that had to be hospitalized or anything like that. So, I mean, it, it is it is clearly COVID is still with us. And arguably, maybe, you know, more so than ever. Now, one of the things about the people that I know who've gotten COVID, and this is just an anecdotal story, is in all cases, there are people who've been vaccinated and have been boosted. You know, so the, these are not people who've, you know, refused to get vaccinations or things like that. These are people who've followed the rules. They got their vaccinations when they were allowed to, they got their booster shot. I'm not sure about that second booster shot. Not sure about that, but but at least the original vaccinations and the boosters, and they're still getting COVID. Now, admittedly, and good news, not in the hospital, not that sick, but they're uncomfortable. Nobody wants to get sick. All right. So against that backdrop, all right, Biden is now touting and the government is encouraging people to go out and to get the new boosters that are out there. They say that there's now a new Omicron-specific COVID-19 vaccine booster shot that is available, and they are being recommended for people um, as long as you, let's see, the deal is that um, at least you should have completed your initial two-day vaccine vaccine series at least two months ago. So there's this push, okay, go out and, and get yet another shot. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I am not an anti-vax guy. And when we had these conversations, I I made it clear. As soon as I got the chance to get my COVID vaccinations, I got my COVID vaccinations. As soon as I got my chance to get the booster shot, I got the booster shot. Now I haven't had, had a second booster shot. I know many, many people who are in that same situation. They got the, the original dosage. They had the booster shot. I never had an adverse reaction to it, but I know a lot of people who did, including my wife. She had an, you know, has, has, had an adverse reaction to it. And so now the debate is now they say they've got yet another shot that's out there. And it's supposedly Omicron specific, but, you know, who knows? 855 that's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Are you going to get the next round of booster shots which are now rolling out? Cuz the speculation is this is probably now going to become like a yearly thing just like the flu shots. I get the flu shot. Get the flu shot every year. I've never had any problems with it. Some years I get the flu, but you know, generally speaking it's a lot milder. So I don't have reactions to these. I'm definitely going to get the flu shot this year, but I'm kind of wrestling with the question of, do I get another one of these COVID shots, having had two already, having had my booster shot, and seeing that there's a lot of other people out there who are in that same situation, and they still get COVID. 855-616-1620. Are you going to get the latest round of COVID vaccinations? 855-616-1620. We discuss. So you're going to get the new COVID booster. Jeff, I've had no adverse reaction to my previous three COVID-19 shots. And since I'm medically at risk, still haven't contracted it. And my doctor's recommending it. I'll be getting the new new formulation booster and annual flu shot very soon. My doctor suggested skipping the second booster in anticipation the new one would be coming soon. And now it's here. You know, the only difference between the texter and me is that I'm not really medically at risk. I've had no adverse reaction to my the original series and then the booster I got and and actually my doctor same sort of thing he said well you know when when they had the when they had the the second booster he said well if you want to get it it's okay I'm I said he's I'm frankly I'm on the fence about this but now this is the new one that's there I, I definitely I'm a flu shot guy so I mean I'm definitely going to get the flu shot there's no question about that. And I guess since I haven't had an adverse reaction to any of the previous COVID shots, my guess is I'm probably going to get the, that shot as well. But it's at the same time, like I say, these previous shots haven't stopped people from getting the people that I know from getting COVID just less severe, which makes me wonder whether or not, you know, what, what actually is this Omicron one going to, to accomplish? Will it, Will it give me added protection beyond the, the f- ones I originally had? And again, for me, since I don't have adverse reactions to these things, I guess it's easy to do it. If, on the other hand, I was somebody that had had a series of adverse reactions to the first battery, I think I'd be asking my doctor some questions. 855 Jeff, my husband and I had the, three, the two original vaccines and one vo- booster and remained COVID-free until a week ago. We're doing better, but for us it was more like the flu And a cold. We were trying to decide if we were going to get the new booster, but now that we've had COVID, we're not sure. Jeff, I got my two vaccination shots way back when, but no boosters. That is enough for me. Um if I get COVID I'll leave it in God's hands. Well, you know I, I mean a lot of times that's why God makes medicines that you can take it. But I guess that becomes the question. And it for me, again, if you haven't had an adverse reaction to what's been going on before, my re my concept is well why not? On the other hand, if you are one of those people that have had adverse reactions, you kinda of say, Okay, what 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 real added protection am I going to get as long as I've had my other boosters? Is this really going to, if I get COVID again, is it going to lessen the severity of it? it I, I think at the end of the day, for most people, COVID is going to become a yearly thing like the flu shot. I think that's where we're going. Yeah, Jeff, I'm getting my third booster tomorrow. We both had uh, our boosters done by February, um, I've had to have two hip replacements this summer. I wanted protection while I was in the hospital. I'm, in fact, um fine. Jeff, my sister was vaxxed, boosted, and just recovered from five days of flu-like symptoms of COVID. I've never had a flu shot, and knock on wood, haven't had the flu in 20 years. I'm 52. Um, yeah, Jeff, I don't see any downside to getting the new booster. Even if I get COVID, it will be milder, right? The only downside, again, would be if you're one of those people that have had adverse reactions to it in the first place, in which case you probably want to rethink it. Although I will tell you, you're, you're starting to see this information campaign. People are not banging down doors right now of doctor's offices to get the, get their COVID shots. They're They're just... They're just not. This latest round, and maybe it's COVID fatigue. Maybe it's just this feeling of, well, I know I'm going to, now we know that the COVID shots aren't going to stop you from getting COVID. It will just in all likelihood, again, lessen the symptoms, which then raises the question of, all right, is this new shot, which is a variation of the old shots, what sort of added benefit does that give you for people who are already fully vaccinated? And I guess, again, my personal reaction is, what the heck? If you don't have adverse reactions i'm I'm willing to do it um if it's the other case, I mean I think it's it's a fair conversation to have with your medical care provider, Jeff. I think I'm going to be a little bit more cautious about the next booster. The first booster I had made me very, very sick. I think I will be the person that kind of waits and sees how the next strain affects people, and hopefully it's not me before I decide to get another Um booster. Jeff, I'm an ER nurse and I've gotten both my COVID vaccines and a booster, but I will not be getting any more boosters. I've had no adverse reactions and I've had a mild case of COVID. I just see no reasons for additional boosters. Jeff, I'm going to wait until late October to get a next booster so it will last through the winter. Well, I think these are just things. Jeff, I had terrible adverse reactions from each and every shot. Yet when I had COVID, it seems like it was a bad cold. I think I might be done. Um, And then somebody correctly points out, well, you know, um, Jeff, I've had COVID twice. I had the two original shots. I told my doctor I'm done. I believe natural immunity is better than the boosters. And who knows what long-term reactions from the shots are down the road. This is, I mean, uh, this is a debate that again, we, we, it plays out in our house. Just because, like I say, for me, it was no problem, and it, I've never had reactions to flu shots. My wife does have reactions. I mean, it's not life threatening reactions, but she, she doesn't feel good for for a couple days. And so the balancing is okay. You know, if if you are afraid that you're going to have an adverse reaction and and you're going to be sick for a few days, is is COVID going to make you worse feel feel worse than that? And and what degree of protection does it give you? Let's talk to Mark in Kenosha. Hi, Mark.
5: Good afternoon. Thanks for having
2: me. Sure. What do you think?
5: Well, since I'm diabetic, I of course plan to to get another booster in the very near future. Um, but the main reason I wanted to call is to, to point out that. Uh, part of the conversation seems to have shifted away from the real point of the vaccine is that the vaccine is never going to guarantee that anybody doesn't get COVID. It's primarily to make sure that the cases aren't as severe. And also, if your case isn't as severe, then you have a much viral load, which translates directly to being less likely to infect someone else Mm -hmm. and that's the real cause there is to keep other people that do have issues with it uh, from getting it in addition to, of course, making your case not as bad, well, but I think that's where we need to focus on. Is it's not just about my personal well, no, uh, but, but uh, medical but the fu- needs or whatever; it's everybody else's
6: Well, too. but
2: Mark, but that that was the argument for the original the original boosters. Although at the time, I, I think these and look, I, I'm I'm not an anti-vax guy. I got vaccinated at the time. Originally, the conversation was, "You get this shot, and you're, you're not going to get COVID." Then it kind of morphed into, "It won't be as bad." But I, I'm still worth uh, worthy of that. I, I guess I think now the conversation for people. people... People who are fully vaccinated and boosted is how much additional protection do you get from that new shot over and above what you already have? And I think that's the conversation for people who've had adverse reactions that it's, it's fair to have with their doctors and get their doctor's opinion.
5: Oh, yeah, of course. If you've had an adverse reaction and you're one of the the outliers, the few that does have that reaction, mm-hmm. then of course it makes sense to to consider not getting it as an option. Um, but but anybody that hasn't had any adverse reactions, I can't imagine why they wouldn't want to get that additional bit of protection, even if it was only ten or twenty percent extra is it if you haven't had any adverse reactions.
2: I'm sorry, your, your cell phone cut out there, Mark. Well, I mean, to me, that that is the question. Everybody's got to make these own their own decisions on this, um, and I think it's this is one where you want to talk to your doctor, and you want to discuss it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it's fair to just you know for people who've had adverse reactions to just simply dismiss it as they're all outliers because there are people that have had adverse reactions to it. So now it's a balancing between okay, what are the added benefits from getting now a fourth shot? You know, admittedly the new one. And, and it's, it's not like the flu, or at least, I mean, the flu, we know it changes every year because the flu is different every year. But I think it's a fair question. I'm not discouraging people from, from doing it, but I think it's a fair question. And candidly, it's a conversation I'm going to have with my doctor, which is, OK, I'm not I'm not against getting this this new booster, but that will now be the fourth one. What do you think is the the comparative benefits? Is it going to give me substantially added protection versus again? For me, it's probably an easy call because I, I've never had any adverse reactions before. But you got to make that decision for yourself.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is The Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Okay, Mike Spalding, you started something with your 130 newscast with the reference to the temperature in Tachita. Yes. Because now I'm getting texts, for example, and see, Tachita, which is a very, very small town... Um, uh, in, in Fond du Lac County, which is in fact where Lorenzia Bembanic escaped from, she was in the, you know, the Run Bambi Run. She yeah. was she was in Tichita and she busted out of the late Lorenzia Bembanic. She busted out of there, but um, the the population of Techita is about thirty six hundred people. And now I, there's a, there's an ongoing debate on my uh, Twitter account about and our and my emails about whether or not that includes the prison population of Tichita. Um you, you, are they roll, Are the prisoners rolled in and counted as part of the population or not? I do. I have no idea. No. Well. Well, I, I you think get mailing mail there. Right? Uh, upon Well, Waupun. Uh, I, I get. It. I. It, it's. It's these like little things that you know. Now, but I'm now curious about upon the, There's a big prison there. Have you ever? Have you ever been to upon I have. Oh man, that's a scary place. <laughs> I, when, when I was in the U.S. Attorney's office, I had to go up and interview witnesses once or twice, yeah. and it's like. I, I mean it. it You know, everybody should visit and just because it would convince you that you do not want to go there. That's that was the thing about going. I went to Leavenworth once to interview witnesses. I went to this uh, federal prison on the Texas, New Mexico border called Latuna. You go to these places. Everybody should walk through these places once, because if you were thinking about doing something that might get you put in there. It makes you think twice.
1: I have an uncle in Kansas who uh, works for the district attorney's office in Wichita, and they he you know is at the, the county jail all the time. And when I was a kid, he would always like when we'd go visit him, he would always say like, "Oh, I want to take the kids." My mom was always like,
2: "Ah." Not this time, John. Maybe next time we'll we'll go, but it was always like a standing. Well, well Leavenworth is kind of, I mean, I would talk to friends of mine in the marshal service who would, or the Bureau of Prisons, who would transport these prisoners and stuff. And Leavenworth is kind of in the middle of nowhere. And he said, yeah, the, the prisoners, they're all kind of smoking and joking and stuff. You know, oh, ha ha, what did you do? What did I do? Until you come over this rise and you see Leavenworth standing there. And they said, they all get quiet. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure <laughs> they
1: do. It's an imposing looking Facility. I mean it. Yeah, not not a single friendly thing about it there.
2: Okay. So, but anyhow, one, one of our one of our emailers is saying that wapan If you're an inmate at wapan you are counted as part of the total city population. So I, I mean I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that's our that's that's your homework assignment. Is is the, are the 700 people who are housed at the Women's Correctional Institute in tachita are they counted as part of the overall population of tachita All right, that's your mission. Two thirty. I'll let you know. All right. Good enough. That is the question. <laughs> I do not know the answer to that. All right. Now, let me kind of back into this topic. We, as as everybody, I think, should know by now, this is our um, last week and a day here at WTMJ at Radio City. We are moving down to the former space formerly known as the Grand Avenue, now, now the Avenue. And so the deal is... This I've got this week, and then next Monday, and then our, our broadcast starting next Tuesday are supposed to originate from the Avenue. So we're we're moving out all sorts of stuff and things like that, and there are transitions that you go through. Here at Radio City, I have on my desk I have a desktop computer that I've used forever and a day. They have made laptop computers. A lot of people have laptops. I've said I, I don't I don't need them. I've got laptops at home, but but now that we're moving, there's not going to be desktops computers anymore. So the good people at Good Karma brands they gave me a brand new like laptop computer, which, you know, is to be used for work purposes. So I was over the weekend, I was I was setting it up. And unlike my personal laptops, I have a I've I have two and and my desktop computer at home, I was I was thinking, okay, what am I going to put on this work laptop? And I, I made the decision that I'm I'm only going to put work stuff on there. I mean I I, I don't. I, I made the decision that I'm not going to put, for example, my personal email account on there. I'm not going to access, you know, all the, the personal stuff, my bank accounts, all all the stuff I have on my personal stuff. No. So I, I just, I, I put on my work email. I put on our link to the text line. And I, I also, I, then I put on links to a series of like the news sites I look for to, to you know, produce the, to do the program. But I made this conscious decision that I'm going to really make a very hard effort. I'm going to, separate all personal from the work-related stuff, and I'm sure that's probably what the rules say, but I don't think it's enforced that that much, but I just made that decision. I, I don't want any personal stuff on this laptop computer. Now, I was thinking about that because there is a controversy that has originated in the Madison School District, and I'm really curious about your response to it. In the Madison Public Schools... What they do is they give kids, essentially laptop computers, I I believe. I I think that's what they are. They give them electronic learning devices. And the the computer that they have allows kids to access digital tools, communicate via email with their teachers— Um, and, you know, you know, so they they get the laptops and they're allowed to do it. And it does have, it has an email function on the computer that, again, allows them, the teachers can email the kids, the kids can email the teachers and things like that. This year, the school district decided for kids eighth grade and younger, they were going to implement a policy that would prohibit Parents and people outside the school building from sending email to elementary and middle school students. So in other words, you've you've got the kid that's got the address, the email address through the Madison Public Schools. What they would do is they intended to put a block on that so that if you were getting email from people outside the school district or outside the school system— it would be blocked. You couldn't get outside emails. You could still get emails from your teacher. You could send emails to your teacher, but you know, third parties, people outside the school district, wouldn't be able to send these in. And the thinking was essentially like, like here, here's the deal: we're concerned, we're concerned with privacy. For example, we're concerned with people trying to get in and you know, sending. You know, those things where you get the, the spam alerts or the phishing alerts where you get the email and it says, you know, click on this because you just won an award and you click on this and next thing you know, your email account is infected and that stuff. Remember, we we, got, we all get those those sort of things. Well, the, the school district was concerned about that. So they set this rule saying, okay, eighth grade and younger, on, on your school-provided emails you're not going to be able to get emails from outside parties. Got it? And, and that's the justification. Well, all right, once this, pro- this this was announced last week, a number of parents went just absolutely crazy because they said, well, what this means is we're not going to be able to send emails to our kids on their school account, because there, there's really no way of differentiating between who the parents are and who the, the fish person is or who the, the friends are. So the, the idea was you're really going to only be able to use your school email account for school type of things. Well, the parents found out about this and a number of parents started complaining and the school has at least temporarily put a hold on this while they discuss it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about this? I mean, is the school reasonable for saying, look, we've given you students, we've given you a computer, we've assigned you an email account through the school system, but we're We're not going to allow you to essentially use it to receive emails from outside. And and the way this is presented in the Madison paper is Madison schools quietly roll out policy preventing parents from emailing students, then reverse course. Well, it's not just the parents. The the policy prevents anybody from outside the school district from emailing the kids. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Actually – and I'm willing to be talked out of this. I don't think that that's a, a bad policy to to have. And if parents want to be able to email their kids, well, okay, get your kid a, a different, you know, get get your kid, you know, a different email account that they can access on their cell phone or their own laptop or, or whatever. Nobody is saying you can't communicate with your parents, but this is school property. I mean it's school property it's school provided stuff and is it really any different from a place of business if they were to say to you no we don't want you using your our, our email system and the computer we provided you we don't want you using this for personal sort of stuff 8556161620 what do you think we discuss Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Madison School District, you're just joining us, has apparently created all this controversy. They, 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 issue, they issue, I assume, they're like laptop computers to all the kids. Well, they came out with this policy this year saying, and they also give the kids an email account. So you've got an email account, and it comes up with a, like a domain that is the Madison School District. What they've said is they've said, we're going to block any incoming emails that don't come from the Madison School District. The purpose is this is for the kids to communicate with their teachers, etc. So the argument now is, well, wait a minute, that means that parents can't email the kids? And the answer would be, yeah. It also means that the, the PH, you know, Fishers, you know, who, who send the things trying to hack into people's account can't get through. And my point is, I guess I don't have a problem with this. If you really, as a parent, think that your child needs to have his or her own email account in seven grade well okay then you you get them a phone you get them a laptop whatever you you don't you don't get to use the school district and the taxpayer provided for laptop which is meant for education for i mean the the personal purposes 855-616-1620 let's start with chris chris you're on wtmj good afternoon
6: good afternoon jeff um I guess you were probably hoping to get somebody who would have a different view than yours, but I am completely on your side. I don't see a problem with this. Um, I I equate it to like my work. I have a work email, but anytime I do anything non-work related, I give them or I provide my personal email. Which is what I do. And on top of that, I create, you know, I I have, you know, I work in IT, so maybe I I treat this as as a no-brainer, but if the parents need just it's it's very simple to create a a gmail or a google email account if they want to you know mm-hmm. communicate with their child just create a, a gmail account or something and then they can email and get on you know using their home computer or whatever well,
2: well right yeah exactly or or their phone them. or their phone or whatever this is just yeah. a way of essentially saying the 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 school computer is to be used for school related things and this is and the technology is such that we've got to block all the incoming emails because we really can't differentiate between mom or dad and between, again, the the people that are trying to get in and, and, you know, hack into the school system and stuff. No, I I guess I think your analogy is great. It's just like my my work just gave me a new laptop computer. I made the conscious decision. It's only work stuff on that. And I'm only going to use that for work related stuff. I've got other I've got other ways you can communicate. And I mean, I'm not going to put my personal bank accounts and stuff on the work computer. It's just it's the work computer I've got.
6: I would go one step further, and you say, you know, what eighth graders and below. Yeah. I mean, I would go all you know through high school and everything. I mean, we even get it where I work that we get, we get tested, if you will, yeah. with like, you know, the the fishing. They'll send out like fake fishing, and you know, we're, we as the employee are hopefully catching these, yeah. and you know, they'll 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 test they'll test us. Yeah. So even us adults can get. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go the entire district, not just up through eighth grade.
2: Yeah, I think No, I'm with you, Thanks, Chris. <laughs> thank, I'm with you. No, that's—and actually, we, we get those, too, every once in a while, RIT. And, and I get it, because here's where the texter makes the point. Jeff, my question is why the blocking software isn't installed on all district-owned computers. It's the district's responsibility to ensure security for their records, and any computer that has access to the district's servers should limit access from outside domains. I guess I, I agree completely. Now, again, the—, the story in Madison and the way the Madison paper spun this was school district denies parents right to email their their kids well that's that's only partially true I mean yeah I guess the parents can't email in but the the, on the school provided computers but nobody else can either I mean it's just what the policy is and I guess my thinking is why why not and like Chris was discussing if you if you really If you really need the opportunity and you really think your kid needs an an email account in in seventh grade or whatever, okay. well, you know, set it up for them and put it on their phone or put it on, you know, buy them a little laptop or a ThinkPad or whatever that's going to be and and then do whatever you want. But I I think it is a valid point once once you're into the, the school system. Server, you know, once people hang, hack into that, it can create you know huge problems. That's why you have all the different security stuff that's there. I, I this is not a complaint if our IT department is listening, but we have, you know, we have all these blockers. There are there are websites that I go to regularly that for whatever reason are, are blocked, and they're, these aren't porno <laughs> websites. It's it's like hey, this is a news website, but because of some of the the content that they get caught by these blockers, and I can I can always contact the IT people and I say, can you lift it? but and, and I'm sure they will but it's just like okay no I I can I can access this stuff through one of my personal computers it's no problem even though I'm doing you know work work related for it but I do think it's a fair question to say why is this controversial At all. Jeff, Jeff, I never thought I would agree with Madison on anything, but I agree with this. Jeff, I think this is an excellent idea, helping to both protect the students from nefarious outside contact and the school district from preventable viruses. I'm retired now, but even 10 years ago when I worked for a large employer, I was issued both a company laptop and a cell phone that were designated to only work for company business. So I needed to use my own devices for personal uses. Kudos for the school district, for thinking smart. Yeah, see, I, I agree. Now, the school district, because a bunch of the parents started to complain they put this on hold temporarily, I think this is a, a good idea. And again, the, the parents, if you need to email your kids... That that's fine, but this is something the taxpayers are paying for, and it's one thing to say we're going to give people a computer so they can communicate with their teachers, so they can access, you know, all these different things that the Madison School District has and books or whatever that is. It's another thing to say we're going to give you a computer, we're going to provide you with an email server so you can communicate with stuff that isn't related to school. Jeff, parents don't need to email their kids when they're in school. That's simply another distraction that the child is going to have. Um, We now have a fresh, we have a now freshman At Wisconsin and a junior still in high school, there are enough distractions around them and they don't need any additional one. What could possibly be so important that you need to email your child during the day? It's bad enough that most of them have cell phones. They are distracted incredibly. Jeff, I agree with you. Unfortunately, by allowing emails to come into the students' computers from the outside, that will eventually lead to emails coming from advertising companies, dishonest and possibly criminal type elements. Those computers should be limited to educational purposes only. And tying back to what our last caller was talking about, I, I, I get the same thing. We are constantly tested. I get all these, these phishing pH, you know, things trying to get you to click on stuff that, that, you know, who knows what happens when you click on them. Well, okay, it's hard enough for grownups to know what is a scam and what isn't. How can you expect a fifth grader, for example, to know, gee, when you got that notice that came from somewhere on the outside that said you've now won a giant prize or you know, click to find out what your grades are or whatever, next thing you know you click on it and you find that you've infected your computer and all the school computers with it. This is something that to me makes eminent sense. And actually the school district did it and now they've had to back off because some of the parents complained. Sometimes you really can't. Jeff, I work in IT at a school and we also stop students from seeing external emails. One of our reasons is because parents are communicating with their children. For example, They'll email email the kid saying they're going to pick them up, but they don't let the office staff know. All of a sudden, a child comes to the office and says, Mom, Dad's going to be here to pick them up. Nobody in the office knows about it. This is just one example of why we do that. Yeah, I I think in this case, mark the tape. I don't say it often. I think the Madison School District is absolutely 100 percent right on this one. OK, before we go to the news, Mike Spaulding, you, you think you have the answer to our question, which is the women's prison in Techita the population, is that counted in the overall population of Tachita?
1: Yes. Though, according to the uh, the, the U.S. census, uh, the prisoners who are counted at facilities should only be counted if they spent a majority of their time <laughs> in the past year living and sleeping at the correctional facility.
2: Okay. So, And that would be confirmed by, to show you the breadth of this show, we got a call off the air from a, a woman who was... Previously incarcerated at the federal, at the state correctional institution at Tachita, and, and her point was, yes, we, we are counted as, as part of the population of that town. Yeah, so
1: you mm-hmm. can, I guess, you can see what percent of your population is then incarcerated, and see how much of that.
2: Because uh, I, I went down a rabbit hole. Today, <laughs> yeah, I, well, and, I, and I'm sorry, I, I, I made you go down the rabbit hole, and I apologize, but it was kind of, I was just sort of interested by in, interested in that.
1: No, it is, it, it is interesting, and I guess your uh, your population what fluctuates then,
2: right? Do you get well, more power if you're if you have more people there? Well, more does it contribute to like more state representatives or things like that? If you I I I, I suspect that though my guess is with prison populations nowadays, it it probably, I'm not sure it fluctuates too much. I mean, I I would guess if, if the prison capacity is 700, my guess is it's probably always about 700. That's just my guess. Thank you for going down that rabbit hole. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, Wisconsin, the leaves are changing colors. and You know what that means. It's time for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by our friends at Great Midwest Bank. This week, we are featuring Pablocki Paving, 100% employee-owned. You can request a quote from them by calling their number, 414 414- four seven six ninety one thirty, or you can visit their website. It's com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station six twenty WTMJ. Be sure to check them out. Also, as long as you're checking out things, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. We, I, I use that, and actually I, I, I try to post a couple things a day. Sometimes it's stuff we talk about on the program and follow-ups. Other times it's foreshadowing things we're going to talk about on the program. And other times it's just stuff that I find to be interesting. Um, I, I put this up well, yesterday afternoon, and it, it, it's one of the things we're having this conversation, this political conversation about the economy and things like that, and it, it's— It's a conversation that is being missed by a lot of people because the Republicans haven't figured out how to message it and the Democrats want to pretend it's not going on. But if you feel like you're poorer over the last year or two, it's because you are. Um, New study out there. I'm looking at a story in in Reuters. um, New Federal Reserve report. Here's what they say. U.S. household wealth fell by a record $6.1 trillion in the second quarter, um, fell to its lowest in a year as bear market stocks far outweighed gains in real estate values, Federal Reserve Report said. The net drop in wealth in the second quarter was about $30 billion larger than the previous record decline notched two years earlier at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, so let's put this in perspective. COVID-19 comes in, it hits, it closes down the economy. Essentially, and you've got all these people that are no longer. Unless you're in an essential business, is defined by the government. You're no longer able to go to work and things like that. And of course, the the economy you know craters at the moment. There's a the stock market takes a big plunge. There's a loss of of net worth. What's happened now is even greater than what happened during the COVID pandemic. Um, so the latest fall led by a $7.7 trillion decline in stock market values. Um, this is—and and so I understand that there's some people, and I hear from a handful of folks whenever we talk about this, well, you know, what what do we care about the stock market? That's only rich people. To which I— <laughs> I would just say that, that that demonstrates, I think, some of the cluelessness that's out there. We should all care about the stock market because that's where, for many of us, that's where our nest eggs are. I mean, maybe if you're one of those people that still work in that the industries where you're not responsible for saving for your own retirement and you plan on like having a pension that's going to be there forever and ever, okay, that's fine. But that's the vast minority of people. Most of us— Our retirement income, to the extent we've been able to save it, is tied up in our 401K plans or IRAs or all those different types of things or our 403Bs or whatever it is. And and so when you are – in retirement or you're a couple years away from retirement and suddenly you see this precipitous decline in value. Hey, we just lost fifteen percent of our net worth. That has a huge impact. Now I'm not saying that it's not going to come back at some point in time, but everybody's got different sort of time frames. And the amount of money, like I say, that has just completely and totally disappeared in Joe Biden's economy over the course of the last like year and a half is staggering. So if you feel like you're poorer In the current Biden economy, it's, well, it's because you are. All right. Hey, there's actually an interesting story. If you get the Washington Post, and I I would link to this, but it's kind of a fun story, but it's behind a paywall, so you couldn't read the story. But the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which I think is just an absolutely great movie, and it's always had a a soft spot in my heart because I saw the movie at, um, it was at, now they call it River Point. It was the old Brownport movie theater. If you grew up around here, that's they call it River Point now. But it's like on Brown Deer Road and uh, Port Washington Road. And there was a theater, and I remember it was a Saturday night, and. Uh, my wife and I were looking for something to do and they, they had like a sneak peek of a movie we never we didn't know it was like okay let, let's just go to this it, they, they, we didn't know what the movie was it was before Ferris Bueller's Day Off had been rolled out and so we just went and you know a lot of times you do that you see these like really really bad movies but we saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off and I, it was, I thought it was a great movie and it always it was just kind of a special evening where hey you try something different and, and, and it turns out anyhow in today's Washington Post it's a really interesting story they took three three there was a writer with two of her friends from Chicago and what they tried to do is they tried to recreate all the different places that they go in the movie, you know, because it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and they, and they said, could you really do this in a day? Could you f- participate in this parade, and could you have dinner at this fancy restaurant on the North Shore, and could you go to a Cubs game, and you could do all this? And, and, and they did, and it, it wasn't necessarily easy, and they couldn't see more than like an inning of the Cubs game, but ultimately they were able to do it. They were able to live Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I thought how cool was that? But I also thought, what a great idea. This is how you come up with it. Okay, we only got a couple minutes left in the program. Our number is 855-616-1620. Here is my question. Service workers have just been absolutely devastated over the course of the last couple of years. Restaurants closing down and not reopening. Restaurants, um, for example, uh, the, well, some of the ones that were able to stay open, it was carry out only. Now things are pretty much back to normal. The president has declared that the pandemic I- is over. But still, a lot of people are 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 aren't going back into restaurants a lot of people are ordering takeout so here's the question nowadays you pretty much go to any restaurant where you're going to pick up an order so it's you going in to pick up the order and what you will see is you'll see a tip jar you know there'll be a tip jar so my question is all right do you tip on the takeout Right? So it's not a deal. You've called up. You've ordered the thing. You go in. You say, hi, I'm Jeff. I'm here to pick up the order. The guy goes back, and he brings you your food, or the woman goes back and brings you your food, gives that to you. The bill, you know, you pay for it. It's like 30 bucks or whatever. Do you tip on that takeout? Why or why not? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, as, as I was going through the Washington Post, and I saw that Ferris Bueller story. One of the things that there, the ongoing discussion about: Do you tip on takeout? And the, the part of the conclusion was maybe this has changed. You know, pre pandemic. You know, post pandemic, they're saying a lot more people are doing that just because. You know, how tough it's been on service workers, particularly in the restaurant industry over the last couple of years. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon.
0: Hi, uh, Jeff. I usually do tip for takeout. I, I don't always do a full 20%, but I at least do something, mainly because I tend to go to the same places over and over again that are near my residence, right. and I firmly believe that it's always in my best interest to be on good terms with the people who make you food.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, thanks, Nicole. well. I think there, there, there's an element, I, I think, to that, especially if, if you're a regular. Let's talk to Mike on the Northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. I do not tip for takeouts. I uh, feel I don't see the people making it. And the other reason is uh,
1: they're getting like 16 bucks an hour. If I'm at a restaurant and I'm eating there, I'm going to tip 20% or better. But for a takeout, just to throw a sandwich in a bag, I don't see a reason
2: for tipping them. Okay, thanks for the call. appreciate it. I mean, I don't know if there's any right or wrong thing. I mean, it's not a mandatory thing. And, of course, during the pandemic, what happened is some people in some places would build in service charges and things like that to help take care of it. 855-616-1620. Um, let's see. Um, Jeff, if it's a full-service restaurant, I think you should tip up to 15%. Jeff, I never tip on carryout. The person work, walks over, picks up a bag hands it to you why does that deserve a tip? Where does the tipping concept end? I went to the car wash on Friday, and they asked if I wanted to add a tip to my car wash charge, which is an automatic wash. The next thing they'll be asking for is a tip on breathing. Well, that is an interesting thing. For example, at, at if you go to American Family Field, and now, as we were talking about earlier in the show, everything is cashless, so you gotta use the credit cards. And the automatic thing is when you get the charge, you get this little thing that comes up saying, do you wanna leave a tip? And you can push the no tip or 10% or 15% or whatever. And because a lot of times the stands I go to, it's volunteers and stuff, and I want to support them, I, I leave a tip. The one thing I'm having trouble with, though, is if you walk into American Family Field, there's the, the self-service area where you go and you get – you know, you get your beers or whatever and you walk over and they've got a series of these self-service checkout things and they do have an employee there in case you have any problems with it. I I haven't gotten around to tipping on that, you know, because it's like, okay, I have picked out my beer, I'm paying for it. And merely because the guy is standing there with a can opener, if he needs to open the can, I, I, I'm. I want to support causes, but there are limits. Uh, Jeff, I do not tip on takeout, only when I'm seated and I'm actually getting the service of the waitress or the waiter. Um, Jeff, I tip, if they made me for the food, I appreciate their hard work. Um yeah, um, Jeff, I will only tip a delivery person or a waiter or a waitress. If I'm picking it up, I don't tip. Yeah, clearly if they're bringing the, like a pizza to the door or something, I'm, I'm going to tip the driver on that. If I'm picking it up, I don't tip. Um, is There isn't any extra service provided beyond making my order. Yeah, I don't know that there's an expectation. I think I'm kind of like what our first caller Jeff was talking about, although for a slightly different reason. It's more like if I'm going to a place especially post-pandemic, and I want the place to succeed, and I I want them to continue to be able to stay open and and pay people money or whatever. Am I going to tip 20% on takeout? No. Will I I round up? Um, Probably. Yeah, I'll probably round up. Jeff, I went in to buy two donuts. I was charged over $6. They spun the tablet around to pay, asking if I wanted to tip. Are they nuts? I would assume then he didn't end up t- tipping. Jeff, we always tip on takeout. Restaurant workers are typically paid a lower wage and need tips to make up the difference. We're happy to be generous to them because they are doing an often thankless job in the service industry. I, I, I've said this before. I tend to overtip simply because... I figure I'm in a financial position, thank goodness, right now where I can. Um, it might be that I, I'm not always in that position, and I'll deal with that. But I've always kind of figured, well, okay, 5 bucks to... You know, somebody who's trying to support a couple kids and working as a waitress, for example, that extra five bucks means more to them than it does to me. So that's, that's always kind of been philo- my philosophy, and that's only been buttressed by the fact that, you know, my wife worked in the restaurant industry for 35 years, so that kind of comes together. In any ways, in any event, that, that's the new discussion, tipping or not tipping on carryout.